Thanks for listening to the Calvary Baptist Church Podcast. For more information, check us out at cbctaylorville.com. Join us now as our guest speaker delivers this week's message. Pastor Steve's talking about reading through the Bible. Uh, together, I thought maybe instead of me preaching, we'll just go ahead and practice reading the Bible together all the way through this morning. And uh, we'll go right into night and go from there. No, we'll not do that, okay? Uh, it's good to be back and uh, had a great time in the first service. And uh, I don't have balloons, unfortunately. Dolly's used them all. And, uh, but uh, she does a good job with that. But uh, it's good to be back here with you. My wife uh, is at home. Uh, we have uh, her 89-year-old mom living with us. And uh, she gets a little uh, uh, testy when Shirley leaves her. I understand that, so uh, and being gone for five days would have been a little bit long stretch for her uh, to be away from her mom, so, but uh, I appreciate Greg and Debbie, they've allowed me to stay with them, uh, they said you can have a bedroom, but we're not going to feed you, and uh, so uh, I'm still here till Tuesday, and I'm taking uh, reservations for meals, and uh, so if you'll call the church office and talk to Dolly, uh, I'm sure we can set up some times and uh, for some meals here. And I appreciate that very, very much. But this place has always been a very, very special place for me. I told the uh, earlier group that uh, I came here as a uh, 32-year-old young kid that had no clue what was going on, how to pastor a church. And and, uh, I shared that uh, guys like Bill Mays and Max Holt and Darrell Oliver and uh, Kenny and uh, Roscoe Nation and uh, Cleet Huddleston and on and on guys that... uh, really invested a lot of time and effort into my life and uh, are very, very patient with this young preacher boy. And uh, we did have a good nine years here. God was very, very good to us. And so uh, whenever I come in Taylorville, one of the first things I do uh, is I drive around this uh, facility here and just thank the Lord in prayer for uh, the ministry that he gave uh, my wife and me. Two of our three kids were born in Decatur. And uh, so we have uh, strong ties uh, to this community and just really, really appreciate the opportunity uh, to be back. And we love your pastor, his wife. Uh, I hope you appreciate them. Uh, in this society where there is so much uh, um, mistrust and dishonesty and things going on, be thankful for a pastor and wife who are faithful to each other, uh, who are honest in what they do and preaches the doctrines of the Word of God. So those are good things to have there as well. All right, let's look at the Word of God, the book of John, chapter number 1. And uh, I am on uh, um, being watched uh, by others, so I have to be a little bit more careful in my time uh, with this. But the book of John, chapter 1, I want to be very, very candid as I was in the earlier service uh, in my message this morning. It's a very simple message. It's not going to wow you and say, whew, that's just amazing. Uh, can I move this, Pastor Steve? Yes, okay. I feel like I have an extra person up here with me. And uh, so I really don't want anybody else up here with me. I'll get run in. Uh, with somebody there. Um, I was listening to uh, Junior Hill uh, as I was driving down the road here a while back. Junior Hill is an um, elder statesman, Southern Baptist uh, evangelist, and I've had him in my church before. And uh, I was listening to a, a, a CD of him, and uh, he made the statement that just really caught my attention. And he was at a, a conference at the First Baptist Church down in Jacksonville, which was a an annual huge conference for the Southern Baptist pastors. And he, he made this statement, and he said this to the pastors. He said, if you knew that you were going to preach your last sermon, 
what would it be? If you knew that you were going to preach your last sermon, what would it be? Boy, that hit me. I thought, man, what would be my last sermon? What would I say in my last sermon? Because I'm still involved in Bible Baptist Church. I pastored for 23 years. I teach a Sunday school class. Uh, with some folks. I speak on Wednesday nights. I'm going to preach in October when the pastor's gone, and so I'm still involved in that. And I thought, what would be my last message to them? And so I thought about some things, and I started putting some thoughts together as the Holy Spirit worked. And so the message this morning is just one, and I'll make the point come together at the end, so hang with me. But Winston Churchill said this. He said, if you have an important point to make, Don't try to be subtle or clever. He said, use the pile driver. Hit the point once, then come back and hit it again. Then hit it a third time, a tremendous whack. One of the introductory remarks I want to get across to all of us is this. Whether we like it or not, and whether we accept it even or not, is this. The overlooked mission field, and I love what we had to see this morning about the mission field and everything, But the overlooked mission field is America. I'm glad we have missionaries. And our church has many missionaries, as Calvary does. But sometimes we forget, as Dean and Cerna wrote, America is an overlooked mission field. We think because we are Americans, we are Christians. And the two do not always match up. I live in the Bible Belt. Everybody there will tell you, I am a Christian But they're not all Christians, I promise you. Someone made this statement, the most common practice religion in America today is a generic theism that mingles biblical concepts with the hope that one is a good person, all the while maintaining autonomy over a personal decision and lifestyles. In other words, you have a little bit of religion with your own personal decisions about what you're going to do and how you're going to live your life. Now, the problem with that is Matthew chapter 7 and the words of Jesus Christ in verses 21 through 23, where he says, Not everyone that saith unto me, Lord, Lord, shall enter into the kingdom of heaven, but he that doeth the will of my Father which is in heaven. Many will say to me in that day, Lord, Lord, have we not prophesied in thy name? In thy name have cast devils, and in thy name done many wonderful works. And then will I profess or say to them, I never knew you, depart from me, ye that work iniquity. You see, I'm convinced that when it comes time to really face God, there's going to be many who say, well, I went to church Sunday morning, Sunday night, Wednesday night. I, I was this officer, or I did this, or I gave this, or whatever the case may be. But there's going to be those who he says, there's a problem. You didn't know me, and thus I didn't know you as personal Savior. Now, I'm not here to judge anybody, because as I told the earlier crowd, I have my hands full with Herbert Hubbard, but I'm sharing my heart this morning with you, as you'll see in a few moments. Isaiah, what a great prophet. Isaiah was sent by God to his own people, because God said they need to hear the message. In Isaiah chapter 6, verse number 9, he said, go and tell this people, hear ye indeed, but understand not, and see ye indeed, but perceive not. I've been privileged to go to the Philippines on three different occasions and to hold revivals there and see thousands of people come to know Christ as their personal Savior. In Nigeria, in Ukraine, 
different environments there, see people come to know Christ as their personal Savior. God's blessed me with that. But that doesn't happen in the United States of America very often anymore. And that is my concern. So why is winning souls so very, very important? Now, let me stop for just a second. Our camera person, can you move with me or do I have to stay right here? Good, because I'm going to move. Just wanted to make sure I didn't. I, I, I preached here recently at a church, and the camera person uh, was getting a little bit uh, upset with me. The reason why this message is so important is this. There is a heaven and there is a hell. Now, I know a lot of people don't like hearing that anymore, but that is still true, and there is no middle ground. Amen? Amen. Come on now. Just us in here, all right? And so with that being said, your mom, your dad, your brother, your sister, your neighbors, your friends, your co-laborers are going to spend eternity in one of those two places. Is that correct? There is no other place to go. Okay? I, I'm, I'm looking at, uh, at Terry here. Jim Lawyer is in heaven today. Amen? And that makes me so happy to know and it wasn't because of his good works, and it wasn't because he was the best man to ever walk on the face of the earth, because he was an honorary pup sometimes. And I would say that to him if he was sitting here, because I loved him. But the bottom line is he accepted Christ as his personal Savior, and I'm thankful that he is not in hell today. There's a heaven and there's a hell, folks. And Jesus said, and this has not changed it doesn't matter how long the church is out there, how long we go to church. But what he said in Matthew chapter 28, Go ye therefore and teach all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Ghost, is still true. So, John chapter 1, verses 35 through 49, I'd ask you to please stand. And let me read these scriptures with you. John chapter 1, verses 35 through 49. And then I'm going to give you three simple thoughts and we'll be done. And we're going to go eat because somebody's buying my lunch. <laughs> Verse 35. Again, the next day after John stood and two of his disciples, and looking unto Jesus as he walked, he said, Behold, the Lamb of God. And two disciples heard him speak, and they followed what? Jesus. You see, that can still happen today. People can still hear the message and still follow Jesus today. Then Jesus turned and saw them following and said unto them, What seek ye? They said unto the rabbi, which is to say, being interpreted, Master, where dwellest thou? He said unto them, Come and see. They came and saw where he dwelt and abode with him that day, for it was about the tenth hour. And one of the two which heard John speak and followed him was Andrew, Simon Peter's brother. He first found his own brother Simon and said unto them, We have found the Messiah, which is being interpreted the Christ. And he brought him to Jesus, and when Jesus beheld him, he said, Thou art Simon, the son of Jonah. Thou shalt be called Cephas, which is by interpretation of stone. The day following, Jesus would go forth in Galilee and find Philip and say to him, Follow me. And what did Philip do? Go home, sit and say, Okay, I've done as good as I can do. Now Philip was a Bethsaida of the city of Andrew and Peter. Philip findeth who? Nathaniel. And say unto him, We have found him of whom Moses and the law and the prophets did write, Jesus of Nazareth, the son of Joseph. Nathaniel said to him, can there any good thing come out of Nazareth? Philip said, come and see. 
Jesus saw Nathanael coming to him and saith, Behold, an Israelite indeed, of whom is no guile. Nathanael saith unto him, Whence knowest thou me? And Jesus answered and said to him, Before that Philip called thee, when thou wast on the fig tree, I saw thee. Nathanael answered and saith unto him, Rabbi, thou art the Son of God, thou art the King of Israel. That same Jesus there that people came to see and came to realize who he is, is the same Jesus that we're talking about today. That has not changed. Heavenly Father, bless the reading of your word. Lord, as I said earlier, may the words that I speak not be my words. Lord, I am so, so incapable of preaching a message like this without your strength and your power. So I put it in your hands for the next few moments to work in our hearts. For it's in Christ's name we pray. Amen. Thank you. you. May be seated. Number one, simple thought. For you and me to really have the power of God to really share that message, we must be saved. We need to know who Jesus Christ is ourselves. You say, well, I know Christ. That's great. But I don't ever take it for granted that everybody that comes to church knows Christ as their personal Savior. And so I would be amiss as a pastor if I preached a message like this and didn't make sure that everybody here knew who Christ was. Look at verse number 40. One of the two which heard John speak and followed him was Andrew, Simon Peter's brother. And he first findeth his own brother Simon and saith unto him, We have found the Messiah, which is being interpreted the Christ's. Salvation is about knowing who Christ is and having that personal relationship with him. The book of Romans, chapter 10, is still true. That if thou shalt confess with thy mouth the Lord Jesus Christ and shalt believe in thy heart that God raised him dead, thou shalt be saved. Verse number 13, for whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. You say, why would you deal with that in a church like this? Let me tell you why. It is very personal to me. My dear wife, and you saw a picture of her, we will have been married 49 years. And yes, it did take a lot of grace on her part, I promise you. And don't you say amen, because your wife could be saying a lot of amen too. Okay? My dear wife and I met at Bible college. My wife was raised in a good godly home. Her dad was a deacon. Her mom and her dad both went visiting her, her, her dad and mom were in a very strong, ultra-conservative Baptist church in Columbia, South Carolina. I told the earlier crowd, you know, you have the mass section over here. In that church, I preached in it right after I got ordained in Columbia, South Carolina. They had an amen section. You probably don't know what an amen section is, but back then the men that wanted to say amen would sit over on the left-hand side of the pastor, and they would amen him to death. First time I preached there. Seriously, you ever been in one of those churches, Brother Stockton? I mean, they were they were ripping. Your dad would know about the Amen section, I guarantee you. They, I was a young preacher boy, just been ordained, and they were amening me to death, and I just had to stop. Telling the truth, I just stopped and said, one of us has got to stop talking, because I couldn't preach in them Amen, and, and Shirley's dad was sitting there. That's the kind of church she was raised in. But we went to Decatur, Illinois, right out of Bible college, and we had the youth ministry there, and that church was growing by leaps and bounds in the 1974s. And people were being saved, 
and we had a great youth ministry, and God was blessing, and God was working, and we had a revival. We've been there about a year, and we had a revival, and I was at the front. I'm really going to get myself in trouble, this lady back here. Uh, but I, I, I was at the front, and I was leading somebody to the Lord at the invitation time, and, and out of the side of my eye, I saw my wife, and she was at the other side of the altar, and one of the, um, the revival team counselors was dealing with her, and I was kind of like, okay. Um, we hadn't had a fight or anything that day, and, but I didn't know what was going on or why she had been dealt with. But anyway, I, I'd led him to the Lord, and I was standing over here, and I was filling out a card, and my wife came up to me with tears streaming down her eyes, and she just looked at me, and she said, Herb, she said, I just can't go to hell for you. And I didn't know what she was talking about. And she said, I don't want to embarrass you, but I just got saved. She said, I've had doubts. I went forward in that little church, and I, I said a little prayer, but nobody ever opened their Bible, and nobody ever showed me the Scripture. I just, I just never have had that settled. And the night I got that settled, and I gave her a hug, and I told her, I said, Honey, I am so glad for you that you got that settled. And I told the earlier crowd I had the privilege of baptizing my wife, and I've had the privilege of baptizing all my kids and a couple of my grandkids. But I'm going to tell you something. Ever since then, I don't take for granted that anybody is saved because it's a personal decision that you and I must make. So I'm saying to you, are you sure that you have settled that for all of eternity? Somebody just recently said, how can you be so sure? I was a 16-year-old kid, man, and I didn't think anybody loved me. You know, on that Monday morning, August of 1968, in that trailer, I bent my knees and I asked Christ to save me. And for whatever reason, maybe it's because I'm a simpleton, but I have just never questioned God. So I would hope that you have that same trust and faith in God that you've been saved. Number two, if we're truly saved, we need to care. We live in a very impersonal society, even in church sometimes. Uh, and COVID has not made it any easier. But we need to care for people who are lost and going to hell. Amen? Amen? I mean, if the church people don't care, who is going to care for those who are lost and without Jesus Christ? You say, and this is online, but I don't mind saying, you say, why are you still involved in the YMCA, I'm not getting rich there. You don't work at the YMCA and get rich, I promise you. Right, Shelly? Okay. But I enjoy doing what I'm doing because I have an outreach with people and I counsel with people and I have the opportunity to share who God and the Holy Spirit and Jesus Christ is. And every one of us has a sphere of people that we can love on and care for and share the message of who Jesus Christ is. Look at John chapter 12 with me, please, okay? John chapter 12. Come on now, go with me. John chapter 12, and Jesus in verse number 12 is entering into Jerusalem, and then we come to verse number 20. I'm just going to read two verses to you. And there were certain Greeks among them that came up to worship at the feast, and then some came therefore to Philip and said, Sir, the latter part we would see Jesus. Why would they come to Philip? You know why they came to Philip? Two reasons. Number one, they knew he had the answer. And number two, they knew that he cared. Do people know you care? 
They know they can come to you. I was on the plane coming here, and I do some counseling. I was on the plane. I won't give you a name, but somebody texted me and said, hey, when are you coming back? I'd like to meet with you and see if you can talk to me. I need some counseling. I text back and said, I'll be back Tuesday evening. I'll be in the office all day Wednesday. Let's get together. I've got one counseling already, but we'll get together after that. Folks, we have got to care for people in this world. About a month ago, a month and a half ago, we have a team that goes out once a month, and we give out bags of food. I went out with that team. I just happened to be off on that Saturday, and my family didn't have anything going on, so I told Shirley, I said, I'm going out with that team. We went out at 10 o'clock. We gave out over 50-some bags of food, and there was one gentleman that I happened to catch, and his name was Norman, and I had an opportunity to talk to Norman and led Norman to the Lord. Took a Bible back to him and gave it to him. He's got some issues going on in his life, and I put him in contact with a counselor. And I tell you what, there is nothing like leading somebody to the Lord Jesus Christ. Folks, I'm telling you, we've got to care. There are people out there who need Jesus Christ. The founder of the Salvation Army had it right. He was ill. They had a conference going on. He could not get to the conference. So he sent one single word to be shared to all the delegates. And the single word was this, others. Others. It's not all about us. It really is all about others. Number three, and believe it or not, I'll finish up. But we must make sure we're saved. Number two, we must care. And then number three, we need to go. We've got to get up out of our seats, off our couches, out of our houses, and we must go. I'm not much for sitting still. I'm 68, moving towards 69. People ask me all the time, what are you going to do here and when are you going to do this and whatever. I'm probably going to be, my wife tells me all the time, and she would attest it. She tells me she's going to bury me with my phone. I said, that's okay. Just in case I come alive, I'm going to make a phone call and say, honey, come get me, okay? She says, you're always busy, always doing something. I'm not much for sitting still, Okay? Uh, I think God expects us to be busy about his business, expects us to share our testimony when the door opens, when we have that opportunity. The word go, by the way, is found in the Bible, and you can take time to count it and see if I'm right and let me know, 1,352 times. Now, the word sit, the word stay, the word rest, all those other, I don't think are found 1,352 times. But that word go means we should be busy. Ralph Waldo Emerson said this, whether he's Christian or not, I don't know, but he said this, what we need most is someone to make us do what we can. Go. Get busy. Find something to do that makes a difference in people's lives with the testimony of Jesus Christ. By the way, you ever thought about this? You know who God is? How many know who God is? Come on, play with me. You know who God is? You know what the first two letters are? Go. You ever thought about that? Go. Kind of interesting, isn't it? Not stop. Not rest. Not chill out. 
Go. Get busy. You say, well, you know, I, I just don't have those skills and those abilities. Well, let me show you one last scripture before I move into my last thought. Turn to the book of Acts, chapter number 1. The book of Acts, chapter number 1. If this Bible is true, and I believe it's true, if it still applies in 2020 like it did back then, then let's look and see what he has to say in Acts, chapter number 1, verse number 8. But ye shall receive power, Acts 1.8. After that, the Holy Ghost has come upon you. This is not in my original notes. I was just reading through it and thought about this. I said, you know what? That same power is applicable to us today. The power that God gave to those followers and disciples as he ascended is the same power that we have today. God has not changed. Has he? Come on. Has he changed? Has his power changed? You know who's changed? We have. And so I'm saying to you that we must go. Use those abilities to share our testimony when God opens that door. And you say, why are you so adamant about this? Well, let me finish. My folks got a divorce when I was 12 years of age. We were living in Beaufort, South Carolina. My mom moved to Savannah, Georgia. My dad was a police officer and chief of police, and she moved because she got tired of getting tickets written up by my dad. And seriously, it was not a pretty divorce. And so she moved to Savannah and became a nurse over there. We went back and forth, my brother and me. My dad got remarried, and I was 14 years of age and married a woman that had four kids, and it was just an ugly situation, just an absolutely ugly situation. She didn't like us, and we didn't like her. I wasn't a Christian yet. And uh, across the road, we lived on Woodward in Beaufort, South Carolina. Across the road was the Williams family. And Mr. and Mrs. Williams had two sons, Roy and Jerry. And to get away from our home environment, which was horrific, don't feel sorry for me because God's been so good to me since, but we'd, we'd run over there and we'd spend time with Roy and Jerry. And Roy was my best friend and Jerry was my, brother, my younger brother, Pat's best friend. And they always had snacks, and they had an air conditioner in their little room, and we didn't have air conditioning, and they had a TV, and we didn't have a TV. And so that's where we spent our time. We'd go down to the park and play ball, and, and uh, that was our respite. That was our place to get away. And so for two years until we finally left to go live with our mom, that's where we went. And then when I turned 16, I went to live with my mom. And... Unfortunately, my mother died when I was 16. I was in five foster homes until I finally went off to college. But I got saved in August of 1968. And uh, went off to college and while I was in church, and even when I was in college, and Pastor Steve knows this, we'd sit in chapel classes and sit in personal evangelism, and our old Woodworth would hammer us about personal evangelism. I would think about Roy Williams my best friend, and I was saved, and Beaufort was only about 30, 35 miles away, and I'd never gone over to see him. I'd never shared the gospel with him. I'd led a, a bunch of people to the Lord in Savannah. I'd even started a Bible club in Savannah High School where I was a senior, and I'd been involved in a lot of different things evangelism-wise, but I'd never gone over to Beaufort to share with Roy. My, my, my thought was, he's young. I've got plenty of time. I'll 
I'll go see Roy at some point in time, and I'll share the message with him because he's young. And, and, and when I get a car and, 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 and I'm established a little bit, I'll go over and see Roy and sit down and talk with him. So I came home after my first year of college, and I'm working in a little grocery store, a stock boy and a bag boy, and I'm living in this foster home. And I come home, and it's July 30th. And my adopted mom says, Herbert, you've got a phone call from a Mrs. Williams. I said, a Mrs. Williams? She said, yeah, from Buford. I said, oh, that must be Roy and Jerry's mom. wonder why she called me. She said, well, you need to call her immediately. So I called Mrs. Williams. Mrs. Williams says, Herbert, I've got some bad news. I said, Mrs. Williams, what's that? She said, well, Roy died last night. I said, Roy died last night? How did he die last night? She said he went out to Hunting Island Beach, which is the beach outside of Beaufort. He was with his girlfriend. He took his dad's gun, unbeknownst to dad. Had a, had a trigger figure, trigger on, hair trigger on it because he collected money sometimes. Put it up to his head. He was having an argument with his girlfriend. Said, if you don't tell me you love me, I'm going to pull the trigger. She wouldn't say, I love you, and he pulled the trigger and he killed himself. She said, Herbert, I know you're in Bible college, and I'd like for you to come over and help do the funeral service. I said, Mrs. Williams, I'm not an ordained pastor, and I'll come over for the funeral, but I just don't know if I can do that. And, and, and guilt just rushed over me. I mean, just rushed over me because I knew, I knew then where Roy was. Immediately, I knew where Roy was. No question. She said, no. She said, Roy loved you. He was so proud of you going off to Bible college. She said, would you please come? We have a senior pastor, and we want you to be a part of it. So I went over to the church, went over with my adopted parents, did the service. I can't, I can't even remember what I said. I was so guilt-ridden, felt so far out in left field, rode out to the cemetery. And every time I go back to Beaufort, I go by and I see this. And it reminds me of a missed opportunity. that I'll never get back. And last week, I rode back over there, took a day off, and I rode back over there. And I put this message together. And I took this picture. And tears in my eyes, I thought again, this was my last message. I want to say to you, just one. Just one. Because I don't want another Roy Williams in hell. And since 1971, he's been with me. And every time I have an opportunity, if God opens up that door, I try hard to share that message. So I'm saying to you, would you let God right now in your mind
Put somebody, the Holy Spirit, put somebody in your mind that you say, I know probably they're not saved. You're not the judge, but you, you probably know they're not for sure. You take some time and pray for them and you work with your testimony to share the message or get them into the services here so that Pastor Steve can preach and they can hear the gospel message. You don't want your mom and dad to be a Roy Williams. You don't want your neighbors to be a Roy Williams, your co-laborers to be a Roy Williams. I mean this with all my heart, but, and many of you don't, don't know this, but when little Adam passed, we went from one Roy Williams to another Roy Williams to another Roy Williams to another Roy Williams. Does that make sense? Because that's how the family worked. It really did. And we just kept praying, we kept praying, we kept praying, we kept praying, we kept praying. And we kept seeing people saved and people saved and people saved and people saved and baptized and baptized and baptized. But first, we need to make sure we're saved. Second, let God work about that just one. I'm just being honest with you. Let's pray. With our heads bowed and eyes closed and those who are watching, I don't know people's hearts, don't need to. I have to take care of me. But if you're here today or you're watching online and you're not sure about your salvation, would you please, please, as my dear wife did, would you please make sure of your salvation? Would you pray that sinner's prayer? You say, well, Pastor Robert, it just sounds so simple. It wasn't to Christ. I read something this past week that caught my attention. As Christ hung on that cross, naked, beaten, he had only one person he could trust, and that was God. That was it. And there's only one person we can trust, and that is God for our salvation through His Son, Jesus Christ. So if you're not sure, would you pray this prayer with me? Dear Jesus, I know without question, as the book of Romans teaches, that I am a sinner. And so I confess my sins to you right now and ask you to please, please, forgive me of my sins. And I do that because I know that you are God's son. And you came to this earth for someone like me. And you lived here for 33 plus years, a sinless life. And Jesus, you died on the cross. And you were buried. And you resurrected for someone like me. And so I ask you, wash away my sins to be my Savior. Thank you for loving me. Thank you for saving me. Now, Jesus, please help me. As 2 Corinthians 5, 17 says, therefore, if any man be in Christ to be a new creature, help me to be the Christian I should be. And help me to let someone know 
the decision I've made. Lord, it's in Christ's name I pray. If you prayed that prayer, I pray that if you're here, you'll let Pastor Steve know. If you're listening online, would you please let Office know here, let Pastor Steve know. He cares. He would want to know. Let you know how to move further in your Christian life. And then for those that are here as well as those listening, would you allow the Holy Spirit right now to tap deeply into your heart a name of someone I have right now in my mind, someone that I've been working on as the Holy Spirit directs. Would you let God work and put somebody in your heart you're going to ask Jesus to just open the door give you the opportunity to share the message of Jesus Christ with them allow you to be a testimony to them allow you to share the gospel would you please take that opportunity Heavenly Father use these dear people to make a difference in just opportunity just to uh, spend some time talking to the Lord this morning.